0: Headset mic. I'll be happy to wear it if somebody run it up here, but I forgot it. If it's if it's necessary, I'm just going to stand here. <laughs> but yeah, I'm standing right here, so it should be, I think it'll be okay. It's just depending on what else needs to be picked up. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 18. That's where we'll be if we make our way through right now the life of David. And as usual, we'll start with a few uh, questions for review. We've got fifteen or sixteen? We've got sixteen today. So let's go ahead and get started. If you want to answer, you can just shout it out. Um, leave time for others if you're that that kind of person. There. Part of the reason is I'm blind. I can't read this thing. All right. So first review question is going to be: uh, Where was David stationed when the war started? <clears throat> Anybody? So we're, we're kind of getting caught up where we were. This is chapter 17, I believe, if you want to peek back. So it's kind of an interesting place as well. David was stationed. He, remember, he went across the river. He's running from Absalom. And he's got to come to a city because we see him sitting in the city gates. The men don't want him to go out to war with them because he's too important. That's going to be a question as well, but it's in Mahanaim, is where he is. So, uh, chapter 17, verse 24 mentions that, verse 27 as well. Who were the three commanders of David's army that he put in place? Two. Yeah, Abishai, Joab, and Ittai would be those three men. Two of those brothers, one of them's uh, actually a, 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 a Gittite, it tells us. Uh, when he's going out. Not been part of David's crew for very long, it doesn't sound like from what David tells uh, tells him about returning to his own land. What did the army request that David do? Told him, you, need to, you don't need to go out with us to war. You're too important. Stay behind. Um, they're not going to care about any of us, but they're trying to get to you. And that's exactly what... Remember, Hithophel's advice to Absalom was, let me go after David today, 12,000 men, I'll just kill the king. That's really all they wanted, to get him out of the way, and then everything would be um, pretty well set for them. But he ended up taking Hushai's advice. What did David command regarding Absalom to his three commanders and really the rest of the army by extension? Deal gently with the young man Absalom, for my sake... He just couldn't bear the thought of losing him. Chapter 18 and verse 5 is where that is. How many Israelite supporters of Absalom died in the war? 20,000, absolutely. And it tells us, you know, so many were devoured by the sword. It doesn't tell us exactly how many by the sword, but it says even more taken by the by the woods or the surroundings of it. Now, we don't know. I think Brent went over this somewhat. We don't know the, the nature of all that. Was it wild animals? Was it rocky crags or anything? You know, Absalom was told, you need to muster all Israel up in, in battle to go after him. Maybe he was, he's getting just regular guys. You know, if I was to go out into battle in a, in a forest on a horse and all this kind of stuff, probably wouldn't end too well for me either. So we don't know the nature of, of what happened there. Is it saying in some way that, well, this is God's fighting for the... For, for David against the people of, of the men of Israel that are after him. Not really sure about all of that, but it was 20,000. Where was the war fought? The woods of Ephraim, which is kind of on, it appears from the maps to be on the, the east side of the Jordan even, but sort of below Mahanaim or below the Jabbok River. Uh, so the forest of Ephraim. Next question, how did Absalom die? This has a three-part answer, really. Got a head. His head got caught in a tree. That kind of goes back to the hair. I, I don't think it, his head was caught like this. I think his hair may be tangled in in the tree. But um, we are told about his impressive hair earlier. What else? Three darts. Yeah, there's three three darts thrust into his heart. Who did that? Joab did that. And the Joab's same one. It's already been said. Deal gently with him. That's not very gentle. Uh, Joab was one of these guys who was very, very down to earth and very pragmatic in his thinking on things. His thought was, "This this cat has to go. He's got to be removed from things, or we're going to be dealing with this for the rest of his life if we if we uh, keep him alive." Seems to be possibly what he was thinking. The last way he he died. What else happened? Yeah, his, his armor bearers surround Absalom and kill him, it says there. Uh, so those three ways are, are talked about there in uh, chapter 18 and verse 9, and then verse 14 and 15 talks about Joab and the armor bearers killing him. Next question, what happened to the army of Israel after Absalom was killed? Yeah, every man just fled to his tent, his, their, their home a place over in Israel. Um, kind of cut the head off of the snake and everything. As it comes to, comes to nothing somewhat after that at least. So they fled to their homes. Verse uh, Chapter 18 and verse 17 tells us who wanted to carry word of Absalom's defeat back to David. It was one of the sons of the priests. Yeah, I think I heard Ahimeaz. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I'm I've always been a Hemias. I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way, but um I'm, that's just the way I'm to, I guess I'm gonna pronounce it uh Hemias was the one who did that. Um So he wants to do this and as Brent was teaching as the text says, he gets back to Dave and he kinda hem hauls around the what what happened to the young man Absalom. Oh, this other guy's gonna tell you about that. He gets there and he doesn't He kind of realizes, I don't need this much heat on me. I'm going to let somebody else do that after he was so zealous for doing it at the beginning. How did David react to the news of Absalom dying, being killed? He is absolutely grief-stricken and distraught. Oh, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died in your place. And some of the people hear this, at least Joab, is told what David's doing as far as the mourning goes. And um, this is the king that they've been trying to keep alive for all this time. You don't go out to battle, we'll go out to battle. You stay here, you're too important. Now he's, after the battle's won and the, the expected outcome comes, oh, that I would have died in your places. Not probably the greatest thing to hear. So morning, chapter 18, and verse 33. What did Joab say to David about his reaction? Absolutely. They're not going to be following you for very long if you carry on like this. You're treating everybody here that's been supporting you with great contempt, and there's no reason for you to do that. You need to straighten your act up. Uh, Pretty plain words coming from... From Joab to David, there in chapter nineteen, in verse five through seven, what was the disposition of Israel at this time towards David? This is going to a question that's going to kind of lead us into the te- the text for today. What did they think about things? Well, Absalom's dead. Shouldn't we invite the king back in? Should we bring him back to be king? They're the first ones to think about that. Judah doesn't, right? So um, David is kind of invited back um, in, in a lot of ways by different people. Um, who did David promise to be the new commander? Anybody? Amasa, I heard Amasa from both sides. Amasa, Amasa, however you pronounce that one as well. Um, so this is another nephew, right, through another sister, I believe Abigail was the sister of Zeruah, who was Abishai and Joab's and Asahel's uh, mom as well. David's both of them David's sister. What did David end up doing to Shimei? Yeah, well, you're not you're not going to die. But he remember the class from a couple classes back when we're talking about Shimei going and cursing David. That's why he was worried. That, I cursed you on your way out. Things didn't work out the way I really thought they would and bring back my uh, ancestors to rule here in uh, Israel. But now uh, they've lost and you're coming in and surely I'm going to be just uh, in a mess. So let me put this on real quick. All right. So what did David end up doing to Shimei or Shemaiah? Well, he says you're not going to die. And of course, we know later David kind of holds things against him. This would be a beautiful story. I, I listened to a couple of lessons kind of preparing for this. One from a preacher in a, in a liberal church, and he taught this thing. It was This is a great example of forgiveness on the part of David and how we ought to all experience this kind of forgiveness and give this kind of forgiveness. And I was thinking, yeah, but later David said, remember what he did to me, and Solomon, make sure that you kill him at some point in time. Don't let him get away with it. So it kind of undoes all that, but it's just an interesting point. So he promised him that he wouldn't die. What did David do about the Mephibosheth and Ziba situation? Yeah, it's kind of a it's it's a weird way to handle it. There's a lie there somewhere, from one side or the other. Either either Ziba's lying about Mephibosheth wanting to his house to be restored, or Mephibosheth's lying about that particular idea. David really doesn't seem to try to get to the bottom of it, and he says, well, you, you guys just divide the land. It was all Mephibosheth, but you divide it between yourselves now. Um, so, he divided the land between them. Next question, who did Barzillai, the Gileadite, request to receive his reward? David says, "You know, come back with me, I'll treat you well, those types of things. But he said, I'm too old. I'm like, it was either Kimham or Chimham, his servant, that's going to get to go in and and receive those blessings. Chapter 19, verse 37 through 40 tells us. So all this stuff with David coming down to the river. Remember, the men of Israel have said, hey, we're going to, why aren't we bringing David back? And David sent back word to to Judah saying, why aren't y'all bringing me back, right? And so all this is him coming down to the Jordan, and these people, Mephibosheth, uh, Ziba, who's the other one, Shimei, Barzillai meet him at the Jordan, and the men of Jordan and half of Israel is going to take him back up to the uh, back up to Jerusalem. So that brings us, as I said, to today's uh, lesson, starting in chapter nineteen and verse forty-one. Chapter nineteen, verse forty-one, and going through the end of the chapter. There, we'll just read a few verses here. Just then. All the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he ever given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the kingdom, therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So, getting a big argument over this. Seems like a petty thing to argue about. Who's going to get the credit for bringing David back into the kingdom? It was our idea first. Why don't you call us and invite us down to the coronation or whatever you want to call it, the reinstatement of David. Uh, so... Why were they left out? They claimed a special status. They're David's people, uh, men of Judah, and Israel reminds us the whole thing was their idea. So that leads us naturally, really, into this rebellion of Sheba. Now, chapter 20, in the first couple of verses, it says, And there happened to be there a rebel. So Sheba was one of the people that was there. He's one of the men of Israel, it appears, that comes and says, Why didn't you invite us to this thing? Why did you exclude us from it? It was our idea, after all. And remember the last verse of chapter 20, the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. This thing got really heated to the point that Sheba decides, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead every man to his tent. He says this, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So he takes what could be a happy occasion in this argument, uh, ends up him leaving and trying to take as many with him as he can. And like it did under Absalom, this thing grows. We don't know how long it, it grows or how long what the time period of any of this is. We're not really told well, it was three months in the making or anything like that. So it's probably the result, as I said, of the, the trouble between Israel and Judah about bringing David back uh, as king. Sheba was there, verse 1 tells us, in the rebellion against David, happened while he was escorted from the Jordan River up to Jerusalem. So verse 2 says, So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Vichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to their king. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house and put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. Just a really sad situation here. Um, As I mentioned before, kind of gets you to thinking about how Tamar was treated in Absalom's house and kind of shut up from the outside world. These ten concubines of David, he's not going to go into them anymore. He's not going to know them. they're going to be treated as widows for the rest of their days and kept in the house. And another story of a, of a woman we're going to see at the end of the lesson today, uh, Rizpah, which is extremely sad. Uh, just things to think about uh, that, that women at this time period in history, even in, king, in, in God's established kingdom, were not treated the way we would expect and desire today for them to be treated. It's something we need to think about. So David gets back and he deals with his concubines, and then he charges Amasa. got to deal with the situation quickly. Sheba. It's not not something that's going to be good, so deal with him quickly, and he tells him, what does he tell him he needs to do? He gives him three days to do something. Yeah, you gather an army from, from Israel that you can muster. I'll give you three days to do it. And Amasa, his... His loyalty to David—I don't know the extent of it. He—he he was loyal to Absalom, and David gets so upset about Joab in that situation because what did Joab done? Joab's done a lot, right? But recently, yeah, he is—he's killed Absalom. He's directly defied an order from the king. All these kind of things, and David says, "Man, he, I'm." I'm deposing you, he never tells Joab that directly, it doesn't, that we're told or we read about, but he does tell Amasa, back in Jerusalem, who's been the the leader of the army uh, under Absalom, you're going to be my new general, and get you take three days, you muster an army and come back here, He takes too long, that kind of calls into question his loyalty, doesn't it? Maybe give the idea of this, this thing to grow, grow a little bit more, we don't know if he had some sort of beef with David outside of what um uh, what we've already seen, but he takes too long, and David put somebody else in his place to command the army. Who's that? Got Joab right there at the wings, itching to go itching to go in me. But who does he put in? Abishai, the the brother, who turns out is just ready and to be loyal to Joab, pretty quick. So um, <clears throat> Abishai, he's told you go and you. You do these things, um, replace Amasa, and take the army. And so he's marching up. We'll have a map in a minute that shows where all these places are. Gibeon is not very far from, from uh, Jerusalem. So it goes up to Amasa, or Abishai leads the army. They're on the way up to, to find Sheba and where he's gone to, kind of tracing his steps. So they stop at Gibeon, and Amasa finally joins them there. What happens to Amasa? He's he's killed, and it's pretty brutal when you read about it. This idea of Joab is not having this being removed from the being the general too well. So he sees Amasa. This is his cousin, by the way, his own flesh and blood. And uh, Amasa comes up, and he, uh, if I'm remembering the reading right, Joab drops his sword or pretends to drop his sword. He reaches up and grabs Amasa's beard and grabs the sword and just runs him through splits his belly open and leaves him there wallowing in his wallowing in the mire, so to speak, of his own guts. It's such a scene that as they're leaving, soldiers won't walk past him because it's just such a sight to behold, they don't know what to do. So somebody has to drag him off the road, cover him up with some sort of a blanket, and that then people pass him on by. This scene is really reminiscent. If you'll turn back to 2 Samuel Chapter 2. I don't know what it is about Gibeon. This says this took place at the rock of Gibeon. Do you remember when David is coming into power and he's going up against the army of Abner, who's under Ishbosheth at the time? Second, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 12 through 23. Verse 12 says Now Abner, the son of Ner, the servants of Ishbosheth, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. So that tells you something this um, remember David is ruling at Mahanaim during Absalom's little short reign who else ruled at Mahanaim before well, it was Ishbosheth the son of Saul ruled there these cities are important by the way so it says and Joab the son of Zerah and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon doesn't say anything about a rock of Gibeon remember this is where uh, Abner comes up with the idea let Let's face off. I think it's either 10 or 12 against 10 or 12. I can't remember the exact number. It's in the text you're following. But they one side takes the other side by the head, and they take them by the head, and they both draw swords and stab each other and just fall. Now we've got Joab in Gibeon grabbing him by the beard and thrusting him through Amasa and killing him. It just kind of reminded me of that for some reason. So Amasa is killed by, by Joab here in Gibeon. Well, the rebellion continues. The rebellion continues. Joab ends up getting support of the army if we turn back over to chapter 20. I'll turn back there. Verse 11 says, Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near a and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. It says, But a mesa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw all, that all the people stood still, he moved the mesa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. When he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. So Joab is back in command. <laughs> it didn't take very long. He's a very, um, very sly individual that is, about getting down to business of being put in the right place, he's 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 very earthy, I guess is a maybe a good word for it in that way. We're told that Sheba fled all the way to a place called Abel Beth Meaka. This is nowhere close to the center of Israel. All right, so I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. I'll come back. This is um, I didn't bring my pointer, so we're at a. a I don't think this pointer's that strong to be able to show up on the screen. But you can see above Bethmiaka, there's a star there at the top. You can see the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. I've got Jerusalem and I've got Gibeon labeled on the map. You can see how far it is. This Shiva character fled all the way up there. It's all it's almost ninety miles from Jerusalem up to there. So he he kinda knows he's in trouble and David's men are, are pursuing him. So he goes up to this place. And Joab goes up to uh, Abel Beth Miaka and they siege the city, put siege ramps against it. They're actually battering the wall, getting ready to go in the wall. What happens to keep keep Joab from pursuing this? Yeah, this is a story of another one. Uh, another woman that comes up, and she. Gets the attention of some of the soldiers over the wall, what are you doing? And they said, We're we're doing this. And bring Joab to me. I've got a question for him. She so asked him, What are you doing? What do you what do you want? Well, let's let's read this so I don't have to try to create it from my from my memory. That wouldn't work out well for any of us. Verse uh, sixteen. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab, come nearby, that I may speak with you. When he had come to hear her, the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. So she spoke, saying, They used to talk in former times, saying, They shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so so they would end disputes. I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me, that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so, but a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, son of Bikri, by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, Watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman, in her wisdom, went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bikri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab resumed or returned to the king at Jerusalem. And Joab was over all the army of Israel. Then it goes into something else which we'll come back to. So his head's thrown over the wall. They deal with that pretty well, right? City is about to be destroyed if we don't do something. So she's got a lot of wisdom getting the people to see this is this is what needs to happen. Anybody have any thoughts or points on on the Sheba Rebellion? That was a quick quick journey through, through that. All right, see if we can stay on target here. Now, um, verse 23 through 26 seems to kind of tell us, it, it starts, um, well, let's just read it. It says, and Joab was over all the army of Israel. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Carathites and the Pelathites. Adoram was in charge of the revenue. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahalud, was recorder. Shiva, the scribe, Zadok and Abiathar were the priests, and Ira the Jerite, was a chief minister under David. So that tells us who's kind of in charge, who David has put in the right places to lead, be leaders under his watch. All right. So, any questions? So far, points. Yes, sir. Exactly, absolutely can. Now, we're, we're, and to that point, we're fixing to enter into a section of the text here, starting in uh, chapter 21. I don't think, and you guys can challenge me on this if you'd like, it's fine. Um, this, is, this is just my way of understanding things. I, I believe starting in chapter 21, we're entering into a period where it's, it's not chronological, it's not like, well, this is the end of the Sheba rebellion. And then these things happen. I think these, the rest of the, of the chapters you can place in David's life somewhere. Um, the reason I say that is because this particular thing we're about to read seems to g- build onto this idea of maybe why the, the people of Saul's house were so gung-ho against David. Because remember, David, what did he do against Saul's house? They call him a man of bloodshed and all this kind of things, right? What did he really do to Saul? He said, Let the Lord's hand be against him. I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed, right? But we've got, you know, all these, uh, Sheba, uh, we've got uh, Shimei, and they're all against him. And it seems like there's this house of Saul, the Benjamites, that really are against David. And so we come up on this. This next text here in chapter 21, it tells us there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. So at some point in David's reign, doesn't say immediately after these things or following these things, just sometime during his reign that there's this famine. And why is there a famine? It's because... Yes, it's because Saul. Saul slew the Gibeonites. Well, okay, why? Why did he slay the Gibeonites? Why did he do that? Who are the Gibeonites, by the way? Are the Israelites? Yeah, they they were made woodcutters and water carriers. Is that right? Back in uh, Joshua 9. Remember, they're taking the land. This is during the conquest. And so Israel had had a lot of success already in taking these different uh, towns. So the men of Gibeah said, we're going to dress up some people, give them old water bags and let their clothes look up there in tatters, and we're going to go to them and say, we're from a long way off, and we want to just come to you with conditions of peace. You'll leave us alone. I mean, to me, the natural thing would have said, well, if you're from far away, this is our land, we're not going to bother you, right? But they'd end up making a pact with them, um, a, a um, an agreement that they wouldn't kill them, that they wouldn't go after them. Lo and behold, where do they live? They live right there in the land, right? in Gibeon is their, their city. And so Saul seeks to exterminate them at some point during his his time. Maybe he doesn't, I guess he doesn't read Joshua. I don't know what what his reasoning for that was. The text tells us some things. So chapter 21, we read um, verse part of verse 1. It says, And David inquired of the Lord, that's about the famine. The Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them, Now the Gibeonites were not the children of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. So he was zealous for his own people, but he had broken the law, this agreement, this oath that they had with the Gibeonites, which was not really a good thing. And it's caused three years of famine. That's something we we don't really deal with here in America. I mean, I don't, I've never have dealt with a famine. I can imagine, especially back in an agrarian economy, if there there was nothing growing, it could get bad really quick. And at the end of three years, you're wondering what's going on here. Are we being punished? And indeed, that was the answer. You are being punished. So Saul had killed a bunch of these Gibeonites he wasn't supposed to kill. And what do the Gibeonites want? Go ahead. I, I, absolutely absolutely that's a very good point this was an agreement they made and they, they took an oath to it and God's going to hold them to that oath even if it, it wasn't really God's will for them to make that oath with them they're still going to have to uphold it and when they don't God reaches down and sends a famine to get them to realize hey you need to make things right with these people that you promised protection to so what do they want yeah it's Man, this is this just tears at you. We want seven of Saul's sons now. Like again, if that's later, this is a long time, right? That's so why I say this is probably earlier in David's reign. I would personally put this at sometime right after Ishbosheth dies. Maybe three years, four years after Ishbosheth dies, because Saul is his his Israel is being punished. Um, David's king. We're not told it could be at some point during the whole Amnon, Tamar, Absalom saga, and the writer doesn't put it in there to keep from breaking up that story, uh, that storyline. He kind of puts it in there at the end to to make an addendum to things. Not really sure why it's done that way, but nevertheless, here it is. Uh, so we want, they want seven sons of Saul. We're already we're told at the outset. David doesn't use who? Who does he not get? Mephibosheth, he does get, he does get Mephibosheth, but he doesn't. He doesn't get Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, that's gonna be in the Zeba situation later. It's another son, of a direct son, not a grandson, who's named Mephibosheth. He gets Armoni and Mephibosheth, uh, who are the daughter of Saul and Rizpah. Do y'all remember Rizpah from last class? You go back to chapter two again. Second Samuel chapter two—it's got a lot of stuff in it, apparently, because we went there. This is the third time. Actually, it's in chapter three. So strike what I just said. Chapter three, and this is during the the whole Ishbosheth deal, right, with uh, Abner, the army of Saul over Saul's army under Ishbosheth, and verse four. No, verse seven. It says there, and Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aya. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to those of Saul your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you to the hand of David. And you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? May God do so to Abner and more also if I do not do for David's for David as the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. So Abner is accused of going into this person, Rizpah, who's a concubine of Saul, and laying with her back in chapter three. So she comes back up here as one of the the unfortunate she has the unfortunate um, event of having her two sons chosen. We don't know how old they are. This happens pretty early. They could be in you know, young people, at least. They could be older. We're just not really told. But nevertheless, they are slain. Also, five grandsons of Saul. Now, the grandsons of Saul, some of the versions say, I, I believe, through Michael. And that's Who's Michael. It's David's first wife, we're going to be told about her, I think, next class or the class after, as far as what happens uh, to to her. No, we were told about that already. I'm getting my things mixed up. Some versions actually say through somebody called Mirab. It's another daughter of Saul. Um, The Masoretic text, which is the one that most people go by, says Michael, but the Septuagint, which is the older texts, uh, say uh, Mirab. So... I don't know that it really matters in the great scheme of things, or understanding of the scriptures, but nevertheless, and um, that Mirab could be just a some kind of a copyist error. Anyway, these sons of, we're, we're focusing in on Rispa and her sons, and what does she do? They're slain and their bodies are taken to Gibeah and they're displayed. What's Gibeah? How is it significant? It's Saul's hometown. So these son, two sons and five grandsons of Saul are slain, and I don't know if they're, they're displayed in some way in front of the town. And this woman, Rizpah, the, the mother of two of them, just mourns over them. It says, from, from the barley harvest until the rain comes. Now, how long is that? You might say, well, till it rained, you know, who knows, two, three days. Some commentators think that from the barley harvest, and then it says till the rains came, it means the rains of the fall. And they say it could be five or six months. It was long enough that David took note of it and said, man, I haven't treated the body of Jonathan and Saul right. I'm going to send to Jabesh and bring their bones, and give them a proper burial. And he did it based on what this woman was doing, keeping the birds and wild animals off of them for however long it was that she did that. So it's a, it's an incredible thing. So, I'm oh sorry, I've gotten past that. So her grief is, is recorded for us there. Any points or questions? Her grief is something to think about, you know, and, and contemplate. Next class, this I'll just leave this up for... For the next, uh, and I believe this is what we're going to go over with uh, Brent. So that's your reading, not just a little reading. Don't try to do that.